welcome to the Healthcare Download with VMG Health. We are the leaders in strategy and transaction advisory dedicated to finding solutions for the healthcare industry. In each episode, we will leverage our expertise to provide trends and timely updates about what is happening on the business side of healthcare so you can move your strategy forward. In this episode, Strategies for Navigating the Behavioral Health Sector, we'll be interviewing two of VMG Health's leaders focused on behavioral health. William Teague is a director in VMG Health's Valuation and Transaction Advisory Division, and part of his practice includes valuing and guiding clients through behavioral health transactions. Our other guest is Scott Ackman, who is a director in VMG Health's Strategic Advisory Division. Scott advises healthcare clients on strategy, and he has seen a growing need for his services in the behavioral health space. I'm Jen Johnson, VMG Health's Chief Commercial Officer, and I'm ready to get us started with a dose of some practical insight on the business side of healthcare. So, William and Scott, welcome. William, you're coming out of Nashville. How's it going over there? It's going great. You know, here in the healthcare capital of the U.S., <laughs> uh, beautiful weather and excited to uh, talk to you today. Oh, good. I'm glad you're here. Scott, how's it going over there in Minnesota? Uh, as you'd expect, uh, we're doing pretty well. It's still cold and rainy and snowy, but um, other than that, we're, uh, we're doing all right. The huge, huh? The usual, yes, 44 degrees. Well, I'm really glad you guys are here. And as you know, we want to provide listeners insight on what's happening in the behavioral health sector. I'd like to provide first an overview of the market, explore transaction trends, and other strategies you're helping your clients with in this space. Now, obviously, there's been a huge focus on mental health over recent years, and our firm has seen a big uptick in client activity with both transaction and advisory work. Even from a broader perspective, I think mental health has finally gained the recognition as a real issue in America. And from my personal experience as a healthcare consultant, this sector has seen more attention than any other over recent years. As just one example, I've been attending all the major healthcare conferences for over 15 years, and I remember just about five years ago, behavioral health was never on any agenda. Now it's a dedicated session at virtually every healthcare conference we attend, whether legally or financially focused. So obviously, there's a lot to explore here, and my goal is that we provide listeners with some in-depth insight into this sector from a business perspective. So first, let's provide a brief overview of this sector and its players, and I'd like to start with Scott. I know you do a lot of strategy work with health systems and provider groups. Why do you think there's so much activity and attention in this area right now? Jen, I think it's multifactorial, right? So let's talk demand first. So one in five Americans pre-pandemic had a mental health disorder. So 20% of the population, huge number. And that number only escalated going through the pandemic. At, at its peak, 40% of adults during the pandemic had issues with mental health, depression, anxiety, et cetera. So you have a huge demand push in the population. Couple that with just staggering supply shortages. 50% of the population lives in a um, mental health area that's underserved. We've got a physician shortage, 15 to 30,000 physicians. 60% of physicians are over, over 55. So we're faced with this crushing demand and a shortage of not only providers, but beds um, per 100,000 people in the United States. We should be at closer to 40 to 60 inpatient beds for psychiatric care and we're closer to 20. 
So a lot of clients are, are kind of faced with this crushing amount of demand with just a general lack of both providers and facility space to care for the population. Well, so thank you, Scott. There's obviously a giant need in this space, and we have more than just health systems trying to figure this all out. I know there are several major players that are focused on this sector. So, William, I'd like to turn it over to you to comment on some of the larger players focused on behavioral health. And if you could spend a little extra time on joint venture strategy with health systems, that would be great. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I mean, behavioral health is probably one of the hottest sectors in healthcare for investment dollars. Uh, Tons of private equity interest in the space. Lots of new investment dollars coming into the system. Generally, we see our private equity clients trying to employ roll-up strategies. So historically, you know, behavioral health, especially when you look at addiction treatment, you know, learning disability, some of the the sub-verticals within the industry uh, were mom and pop in nature. So the private equity companies were coming in, trying to create scale, regional platforms. So, you know, that that's accounting for a lot of the transaction activity. You know, as Scott mentioned, uh, high demand, low supply, that's that's a good set of facts and circumstances for an investment thesis. Coupled with, you know, the, the government has really loosened a lot of the regulations, provided additional reimbursement or funding now that behavioral health and mental issues are becoming to the forefront. So see a lot of private equity companies, you know, there's a company called Summit, uh, Baymark, Discovery that have maybe achieved some scale over the last few years. Uh, but then there's tons of smaller players that uh, that'll get bigger as they continue to do deals. You know, there's three large companies, you know, two of them publicly traded, Acadia, UHS and LifePoint. They have huge uh, LifePoint being a maybe a newer entrant into the market. Uh, they just started kind of rolling out their behavioral health strategy over the last couple of years. But UHS and Acadia have been doing it for a long time. Uh, UHS and Acadia being publicly traded. Um, And, you know, and we can talk about this a little bit later. They've really focused on doing joint ventures as well with not-for-profit health systems. And we can go into that. Uh, But yeah, that's kind of the overview of the market and what I see out there kind of in terms of major players and kind of what's attracting folks to behavioral health. Okay, perfect. So lots of activity. And the the big three that you mentioned, or these last three, Acadia, UHS, and LifePoint, you know, I I assume they're going to continue to do more joint venture transaction activity in the space. And I know that you guys go knee deep in their earnings calls and keep tabs on them. So what are they saying about the future of their joint venture activity? Yeah, absolutely. So I I mean, I personally work with all three of them. Uh, I think I've got three or four joint venture projects going on as we speak. You know, if you look at Acadia's earning call, and I think Acadia's probably been the most active in the market in the joint ventures. You know, when you look at their earnings calls, they say they have 19 uh, and, in different stages of development. Now, I, I only think a few of those have actually opened and started um, treating patients. As you know, it takes a long time to build these facilities, but they've got 19 in development. I think it's a huge part of all three of theirs, you know, growth strategies going forward. Perfect. So it sounds like they're going to continue with transaction activity. And so with that in mind, Scott, you know, I'd like to turn it over to you. You do a lot of work with health systems. How do you go about navigating and advising them when it comes to considering one of these JV partners? Yeah, great question. I think our first question in, in dialogue with clients is always around just a make versus buy discussion. Do I think I can manage a program myself or do I think I need assistance? And really that's around provider supply. Do I think I can secure a stable supply of providers myself or do I need assistance doing that? 
Um, do I have the facilities? A lot of clients find that they don't have the facilities to, to develop a program of the size and scale that they need, and they need access to capital, which makes joint venturing a, a prime opportunity. Third thing we look at is competencies. A lot of clients, you know, what the JV can bring, frankly, is expertise in how to manage a behavioral health program. It's, it's difficult to do it if you're trying to manage 16, 18 inpatients a day versus if you're trying to manage 40 or 50 so or several thousands like a lot of the for-profits do. So that competency piece um, is really a critical discussion point for our, for our clients as well as then just understanding the market. Maybe I'm in a market that really requires a level of expertise or a level of scale that I don't have. So we're evaluating those criteria and then based on kind of the outcome of that evaluation, trying to steer clients towards whether it's a, a development myself or a, or a partnership opportunity with one of the uh, entities that's out there. And I'll just chime in, you know, I mean, we see health systems all over the country facing financial challenges uh, with labor shortages, inflation that everybody talks about. You know, generally I see hospitals lose money on the behavioral health service lines, mm. right? Yep. So if they can do a joint venture and divest a money losing operation uh, and achieve the size, scale, sophistication through a partnership with a, you know, an operator, they can they can divest that loss. You know, a lot of times that operator will bring capital, right, that they might not be able to have available because they've got a lot of demands on their balance sheet. Right. <laughs> it, uh, behavioral health is a lot of times lower on the list of priorities in terms of capital projects. So. You know, you can divest the loss, you get access to capital you wouldn't otherwise have. And then, you know, you possibly can earn a return uh, through the operations of the joint venture. So. Yeah, that's excellent. So it can really be a good deal for all. Um, so on finishing up with some thoughts on the JV mod, I want William to, to ask you a couple other questions from evaluation lens. Like, are there any nuances you'd like to point out that are either really important to consider or often overlooked when you're putting these deals together? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, typically, you know, when we're putting these JVs together, generally, you know, when we think about what each party's contributing, the health system's contributing existing programs, whether that be inpatient beds, outpatient clinics, uh, a license to use their brand, which can be very important. Um, and the partner is contributing capital. Now, it's, you know, I've seen it where the partner has existing facilities too, but our typical deal, that's kind of what it looks like. So many times we're brought in to value the assets that the health system's contributing, right? You know, when I think about key things to think about when we're going through that process, is it a CON state? How hard is that CON to get? Because as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times I see the health system programs lose money, right? And, you know, valuation 101 is based on cash flow. So even in the absence of cash flow, if you have a CON, if you have a brand, um, or if your program, you know, is just facing some one-time difficulties, whether that be COVID or staffing, that hopefully will be resolved in short order. We try to go through and adjust through that. Um, you know, keep key things I see that are challenges as well is, you know, a lot of Medicaid patients in behavioral health. And, you know, if the health system's divesting this business, it can impact their dish funding. So I've seen mm -hmm. that be a, a hiccup on deals. I've also seen, you know, the health system's reimbursement they get historically, you know, be it a percent of charges or based on DRG is not achievable by the joint venture. So, 
you know, the joint venture might have to take a, a pay cut, if you will, uh, because you got to ne- negotiate new contracts with the payers. So those are all the kind of things we'll think about when we're doing evaluation. Um, and then, yeah, I think that was it. And maybe I, if I can make a, a point to that, William, I, I think one of the things that we're seeing when we talked about why are health systems more interested in behavioral health, I think folks are recognizing kind of going beyond the economic, the direct economic value of behavioral health and thinking strategically of how does this impact our programs now? Maybe historically it was all direct margin, contribution margin. I show a loss. I'm not going to make an investment. Well, now with the kind of the evolution of value, you need to manage the behavioral health spend to, to achieve total population expenditure goals because there's such a strong correlation between behavioral health comorbidities and total health expenditures. So you have to manage that population. Um, in a much different way than you have in the past. Yeah, and I also think there's just so many indirect costs, right? I mean, most of my clients are boarding patients in their ER, right? Hey, we've got 20 to 30 behavioral health patients that we don't have a bed for, right? Either our unit in our hospital is full or the area providers are full. And so we've got nowhere to send these patients, so they end up living in your ER. And the cost to that are just astronomical. So, you know, when you think about lowering the cost of care, if you can find a way to treat these patients in an economical way, you know, with good outcomes, I think there's a ton of opportunity there. Because, I mean, yeah. it's a very undertreated population, right? I mean, a lot of these folks are, are forgotten by the system and walk into ERs and are in crisis. And, you know, obviously that's going to drive up cost. So. Yeah, the community, the community need is through the roof. And, and I think the point that you make around taking a broader lens on how this impacts the system in total is much more common now than perhaps years ago when it's like, oh, my ED's backed up, my OBS beds are full, I'm putting people in beds because I don't have a community resource or I don't have a strong enough program to kind of manage this population. And what does that mean for me, big picture, system operating performance, et cetera. I think it's much more understood now that cost accounting systems have evolved to some degree over the last handful of years. Perfect. Thank you both. Um, Very, very insightful, helpful. Also on the whole joint venture strategy, I just want to plug that we do have, William Teague did a webinar on these joint ventures and how they work. So if you want to hit our website, there's a lot more detailed information on that uh, strategy. So I'm going to go ahead and try to just finish up with the topic of the transaction environment. And William, are you seeing any other major players or trends? Anything you want to note before we uh, move on to, to the next topic? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about physician labor, but I think support staff labor has also been a huge issue. And so volumes are impacted, capacities lower, financial performance is lower. So I think there's been some hesitancy for sellers to come to the market until maybe those headwinds improve and they can improve their performance and, you know, get a better, get a better price. You know, you also got the macro trends with interest rates and access to the debt markets tightening. So it wouldn't surprise me if the transaction activity slows down a little bit due to those, right? Hey, I'm as a seller, I'm going to wait until the, the debt markets improve a little bit and my financial performance improves if I can figure out my staffing issues. You know, the good news on that front is I think we've seen the worst of the staffing shortages, they're still there for sure, but I think they're getting better. You know, the other thing I see is probably the out-of-network strategies are, are pretty prevalent in behavioral health, whether that be in substance abuse or, you know, almost in any kind of 
strategy. We see a lot of companies, you know, build payers out of network. There's been pressure on that, especially with the No Surprises Act. So it wouldn't surprise me to to see some of those facilities, you know, struggle a little bit and look for a little for a better partner or a bigger partner to kind of mitigate some of the impact of going out of network to end network. So I think those are maybe two themes I, I see out there. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you've got any others. Anything on the um, telehealth, you know, what's going on out there? On the telehealth side, I think one of the things that we've seen is that telehealth is probably the stickiest in behavior, and especially like behavioral health. So the pandemic obviously brought kind of an evolution of virtual health care and kind of advanced the practices of such. And in a lot of specialties, we've seen kind of falling back to original levels pre-pandemic. But in behavioral health, virtual health, virtual care has remained very popular and is up significantly pre-pandemic. So I think there's legs there. You're seeing more organizations think differently about how they offer virtual care and behavioral health because it is a, it is an area that um, lends itself to that. Yep, I hear that's grown quite a bit. So this is super helpful. Uh, so at this point, we you know we've set the stage with market trends. Transaction overview. Uh, I want to let everybody know we did just release our annual M&A report, and that has got in-depth analysis of behavioral health sector. We cover notable transactions, trends, an update on the reimbursement environment. So if you want to go a little deeper into the uh, what's happening in the transaction environment with behavioral health, we've got our M&A report out there on our website. So what I'd like to do now is turn it back over to Scott and discuss a little more about how health systems and other providers are grappling with this space. I'm wondering specifically if a JV is not in the cards for whatever reason, what are some of the other options for them to find opportunities? For instance, what are some of the things you look at when you're assessing the local market to start to guide your client's behavioral health strategy? If a, if a JV is not in the cards, our process is relatively straightforward. First thing we're going to do is evaluate the provider market. Who are the providers in the area? Who are they aligned with? Do we have enough? Do we have a shortage? And in most cases, there's a shortage and a general lack of inpatient, outpatient behavioral health professionals. So kind of going in with the, the assumption that we have a shortage, it's how do we create that stable environment for physicians? And generally what we found is partnerships with academic facilities or partnerships with larger organizations that have a more stable supply of physicians has worked well. The second thing we're evaluating is really just the overall bed availability. And so I mentioned that statistic earlier around beds per 100,000 people. If we see a shortage there, that gives us some idea of kind of what are we dealing with relative to how much facility need do we have? And do we need to think about a capital investment to adding beds? The other thing that we're evaluating quite a bit is just the community resources, meaning are there social programs? Are there residential facilities that give us an opportunity to discharge patients in an effective and an efficient manner? Because what we find is a lot of clients have a program, they can manage patients on the inpatient side, but they have a very difficult time discharging or finding a home for patients once they're no longer eligible to be in an inpatient bed. And the last thing that we're thinking about doing is it's a mistake to go into this and think an inpatient program or behavioral, there's so much emphasis on inpatient, how people are managed in the hospital, but you really need a continuum of services. 
that means I have to think about a partial hospitalization program. I have to think about intensive outpatient. I have to think about virtual care. I have to think about clinic visits. And I do have embedded physicians with my primary care department. So it's really more about that complete continuum that then is connected to a reasonable community resource that can help you manage a program. And then understanding what's my Medicaid or uh, environment in my particular state or what my commercial climate is. So we're kind of evaluating those factors and building a customized solution based on what we find in those particular areas. Perfect. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this, Scott. Like, uh, I know that recently you helped a large behavioral health organization grow into some new markets. And so that's some, you know, they went it alone. And so could you tell listeners a little bit more about what y'all did strategically and the outcome? Yeah, the client was a very strong uh, uh, behavioral health organization, but they were in a singular market and they really felt like their particular care model, their particular approach to behavioral health was applicable to other markets and they wanted to understand what options they might have nationally. So we built um, kind of an algorithm to help us understand what markets would be most conducive to a successful program launch. Not saying they couldn't launch in most markets, but was trying to optimize their opportunity for success. So we looked at things like provider density. Where are their providers today? We looked at facility capacity, facility availability. We looked at regulatory climate. Um, William mentioned a great comment on CON. You know, what availability is there on the CON space? What work was required if we wanted to add inpatient beds? Um, we also looked at the reimbursement climate. So through that, we built. Um, kind of a model that directed us, provided hotspots across the U.S. on where might, you know, certain investments make some sense. Once we isolated those markets, we then identified a physician group in one of those markets that had similar culture values as the organization we were working with. Uh, a partnership was developed and they acquired that group as kind of their foot, um, kind of flag in the sand, so to speak, in that particular market, and then really started growing off of that group of physicians. That's awesome. It's encouraging to know there's so many strategies out there and um, you guys know how to walk folks through it. So I want to go ahead and let everyone know you've actually outlined this case study um, and that is also available on our website. If, if people have questions for you, you're available. Um, so I do think at this point, this is we've covered a lot. It's a good place to wrap this up. I'd like to thank Scott and William for their insight. You both have done a fantastic job outlining what's happening in one of the most prominent sectors in healthcare today. So I always like to do a little recap um, what we learned. So first, we have an industry that continues to be ripe for transactions. Second, joint venture strategy has shown many health systems financial success and is very encouraging. And third, JBs are not the only way to go. It's important to understand your local market participants and circumstances before tackling your behavioral health strategy. So to finish this up, I think it's safe to say this is going to continue to be an active sector as each year there's increased funding at federal, state, and local levels to combat the worsening behavioral health crisis. So William and Scott, again, we appreciate you both for the excellent insight and want to make sure listeners know they can reach out to either of you anytime and that we have additional content around this topic on the VMG Health website. Lastly, I hope everyone tunes in next month for your dose of the healthcare download, where we'll be discussing important takeaways from the latest public healthcare company earnings calls and give you some insight and some cool tools VMG Health has to help you navigate public company activity. Everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to the healthcare download with VMG Health. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. 
to receive new episodes when they release the first Wednesday of each month. You can also go to vmghealth.com or visit the episode notes to follow VMG Health's monthly newsletter and to learn more about this conversation.